Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Good evening, everybody. Welcome to the show. Starting an hour early, so welcome to those that are uh, joining Loveline for the first time. We're an hour early these days. Got a great show planned for you. We're going to be breaking on down how to give the consent talk to kids. That's right, because we need to be teaching kids from an early age about consent for safety for themselves, but also to protect other people from our kids. That's right. Then we're going to talk about how to heal sex and body shame. Yep, we all got work to do around that. Wanted to open the show, though, by speaking about some environmentalism. That's right. A lot of people are talking more and more about it. Um, I think veganism is up like 200 or 300% because we're understanding that giving up meat and dairy is one of the best ways to really help with climate change. Greta Thunberg is out there. Her little documentary is phenomenal. Um, love seeing smaller kids really stepping into this big person in that little body. Um, but what are some ways that we can focus on environmentalism? I wanted to open the show talking about that because it's something that's dear to my heart and I want to use my platform and my privilege to really help with the environment. And, uh, as always, anyone who's exploited or marginalized, including the environment, um, we, this is something that's systemic mental health is tied to ecological health. A hundred percent. We can't talk about health in any capacity, including mental health. If we're not talking about the environments in which we live. Those directly impact our mental health. We talk about suicide prevention. We talk about things like racism, homophobia, um, not having affordable housing. Those are the foundations upon which our lives begin and live and are lived. That that matters. We can't talk about depression and addiction if we're not talking about how people are without homes and not getting their bills or needs met, or they're dealing with racism or homophobia or transphobia. Those are major factors that lead to addiction and depression and anxiety. We have to talk about the source and systems. So we're talking about ecological shift. The first thing we can do and the best things we can do is eat more plant-based or eat completely plant-based, right? Because climate change is grossly impacted by animal agriculture. Here's a stat. 99% of agricultural animals are, are factory raised through intensive farming practices, which are bad for the environment. Uh, meat and dairy consumption is responsible for about 75%. Um, of global farmland, right? That we can take back and use that with grain and plants to feed others. Massive, massive, massive. So take a day a week, take every other day, be vegan until dinner, or just go completely plant-based. Also, I love this one. And this is something that a lot of car industry um, leaders are making changes in that uh, saving money and making your next car an electric vehicle. Fossil fuels, which are what gas power vehicles run on, are a major source of pollution and contribute to carbon emissions. Um, 
And a lot of car manufacturers are stepping in and creating that. Some of them have promised by a certain year that all their cars will be electric. I love that. Also going minimalist. Okay, ready for this one? It's going to shock some people. I love this though. Uh, you know, minimalism is something we can, you know, apply in small ways or massive ways, trying to consume less. And that means producing less waste. Consumerism, all that spending and shopping is a huge contributor to climate change, responsible for nearly 60% of global greenhouse gas emissions. We need to buy less, purchase less, right? What are some things we can do? I love this. Secondhand shopping. Now, I know at least in LA, and luckily we have access online, so it doesn't matter where you live, there's a lot of vintage and secondhand stores that are selling housing goods, furniture, clothing, right? Anything at reduced costs, reusing, recycling essentially, uh, you can get anything, beautiful, beautiful things for reduced cost. Um, also just shopping and buying local from mom and pop shops, getting away from the big chains, buying local produce, uh, clothing, things like that. Also really respecting our environment in the ocean, not littering, calling out when you see someone litter. Smokers, you guys throw your butts on the ground as though somehow it's biodegradable and not littering. It is. Pick them up and put them in the trash. Call people out when you see them throwing a cigarette or something else in the ocean or the ground. Hey, you dropped that. Can you please pick it up and put it in the trash can? Also, getting some garbage bags and going and cleaning up the beach. I've done this. It's really heartbreaking to see how much crap is everywhere. People have no problem enjoying the beach and then just leave their stuff all over. So disrespectful, not just to the environment and to the animals, but also to the people that are coming after you. Trying to use less plastic, right? And we know now, if you're worried about the ocean, stop eating fish. That's more detrimental than straws and plastics because a lot of what causes problems is overfishing, the nets, et cetera, et cetera. Seaspiracy on Netflix is stunning. It's a new documentary. Check that out. Absolutely, we got to stop eating fish. And finally, sport companies that are eco-minded. There's a lot of them now. It's become more important. It's a higher level practice that a lot of people are centering, right? What kinds of um, packaging are they using? Um, also bringing a bag or a backpack when you go shopping so you don't need to use their bags. Uh, buying, again, loose products. I, I go to some stores and I'm horrified to see that they have things like apples wrapped in plastic. What are you doing? That's part of the problem, right? So we're bringing our own bags. We're shopping local. Uh, I've also grown some of my own food on the countertop, some sprouts and some greens and uh, wheatgrass. So like we're trying to do things like that, going to farmer's market, shop, uh, supporting the local farmers, and again, bringing our own bags. There's so much we can do. It's not just about conserving water and turning off the lights, right? There's bigger things we can do. So we'll keep talking about it because it's something that it's important for my ethics that I use my platform for. And yes, it is tied to mental health because it's part of our general health, right? We can't talk about public health without, talk, without talking about the health of our air and the environment around us, right? Uh, so coming up next, we're going to talk about how to give the consent talk to your kids. This is actually something that's important for all of us. So stick around. Listen to Love Line with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and Odyssey. All right, we're back and uh, April is Sexual Assault Awareness Month. So we're going to, you know, every now and then kind of drop into topics that are part of that wider constellation of how do we end sexual assault and uh, sexual violence, how do we talk more about boundaries and consent? And consent is a big one. And as I've said multiple times, consent has to start from birth. And parents starting to practice that with children is a really great way to empower them, to get them languaging, to understand self-esteem, 
um, how to interface with others, and to kind of take that into their adolescence and teenage years. And then when the time occurs that we start to encounter sexuality, we have a better understanding as to how to take care of ourselves. We have, the, again, the language and the confidence. We can talk about these things. But we have to instill it in childhood. A lot of the clients I work with that are victims of sexual assault or sexual assaulters themselves or none of the above, often they have these really interesting stories of where you know, they didn't have autonomy over their bodies and they weren't, in, you know, told that they can have boundaries because children often aren't allowed to really assert themselves. And into adulthood, it becomes a time when they're trying to learn and practice. Like, again, these aren't magical things that were innately built understanding. They have to be practiced and socialized. And if not at home when we're young, like, when when do you think that that happens? And we're getting better talking about it culturally, but I still hear people, I mean, I look at some of the studies where they'll uh, post certain scenarios and they'll try to figure out people's sense of boundaries and what's okay. And it, it would hurt your heart a little bit when you hear what some people think are acceptable reasons to force or push forward or, you know, really disempower someone. Um, so what are some of the moments? What are some of the opportunities that might emerge with children? And again, adults, you can apply this into your adult life where we get to teach consent, right? Because there's a lot of adult versions. Please don't think that adults have this down pat. Well, the first one is, you know, when you notice a child saying no or wanting something to stop, allow that. Uh, oh, you know, we were playing around, we were roughhousing, I was tickling you and you said stop, so I did, of course I will. Because again, we have to be taught that when we don't feel something is comfortable, we don't like something that's happening to us, we have a right to speak up about it. It's not being disrespectful or precautious, or precocious, it's called learning boundaries. And there's a, very, there's a very respectful way that that can be done, but we have to model that and teach that. Also, we have to talk about that in terms of hugs and kisses. A child shouldn't be forced to uh, donate their body or be boundaryless so that someone else can get affection or not have to encounter a boundary. It's okay for a child to say to a family member or friend, oh, I'm not really comfortable hugging. Um, I'm just going to wave hello. And I had a really powerful moment that I shared a long time ago where I went into a meeting and one of the executives had their child there. The child was about four. And uh, I rolled in and I went to kind of like lean in and give the child a high five or a handshake, I can't remember. And the mom said to the child, and it was really beautiful, hey honey, if you wanna say hello, you can, and if you don't, that's okay as well. You choose what's most comfortable for you. And I thought that wasn't disrespectful or rude at all. It was really beautiful. And the child was like, I just wanna wave. And so I waved back. What a beautiful way that that child was taught that like their comfort matters as much as the comfort of someone else, even if it's an adult. And that, that it doesn't have to be rude or odd or awkward. And that the child gets to decide how they're touched. If a child isn't allowed to practice deciding how they're touched, then they don't know how to decide whether or not they're touched. They don't know how to say no to bad forms of touch or sexual assault, right? If they don't even know how to do it in the safer moments. The safer moments are when we get to be a part of it and we're there and we can help them practice, right? So again, you wanna also teach your child, and again, I want adults to translate this, in, in, translate this into adult examples, where if someone says stop, we stop. We don't ever try to coerce or coax or push forward. You want your child to know that if they're doing something to a child and the child says please stop, that they know that they immediately do. And same thing in adult life. I've had people push and push and push. Come on, let me look at your tattoos. No, I said no. I shouldn't have to repeat myself. I don't want to stand here and show you my body and let you touch my arms and look at my tattoos. There's a lot of adult versions where people will push and try to force. You know, come on, let me give you a massage. Or come on, let me help you crack your back. I said no, right? Or I'm gonna ask you now to stop. It doesn't feel comfortable anymore. These are things that are a little foreign to us, even as adults. Um, also, letting children practice having preferences about maybe what they wear, what they do, and honoring and allowing that. Uh, parents get so hung up on thinking that a parent-child relationship is about power, and you always have to show your child. We even do that with pets. 
And, and we know that leading with love is actually far more healing and makes us safer, more approachable, creates a better relationship than parenting a child or even a pet with a power play, right? Or asserting control. It just doesn't work. That's not mentally healthy. We don't need to do that. And then finally, just allowing the communication and setting of boundaries around privacy. Yeah, children do deserve some privacy. I've advocated all the time. If your child has a cell phone and is using the internet, partner with them and be a part of what they're looking at, what they're seeing. But there's a way to do, there's still a way to parent with some privacy where if a child's door is closed, you can still say, I'll knock, right? Um, you're allowed to have privacy and some boundaries and some time away. I'll knock, I'll ask questions. And there's a lot of adult versions of that. We talk about if you ask someone out and they decline, you don't keep pushing, you don't keep courting, you don't keep trying, you honor that they said no, and you go ask someone else out, right? Um, If you're interested in pushing forward in terms of romance or sexuality and someone says, I'm not comfortable doing that, that they only need to only have to say it once, regardless of what they've said prior. At any point, they can change their mind and retract consent. And we want to honor that. Because remember, when we set a boundary, someone's response to that tells us their health around boundaries and whether or not they're safe. And it doesn't matter if they understand or agree. When we set a boundary, we set a boundary. And touch is the most palpable way to really practice that. Um, Again, even in relationships where you have a right to not have your partner going through your stuff or your phone. You have a right to privacy and boundaries. Because again, we're in healthy, trusting relationships. And if not, start there. The fact that you're with someone you don't trust or can't trust, that's the larger issue, right? But adults get to have privacy and boundaries too, regardless of what's happening in their life, right? And they even talk about the terms of employment, where you have a right to your weekends or your nights and your, your boss, your supervisor, or manager, whoever we're talking about, or colleague, shouldn't be able to just pop in whenever they want. You're allowed to say, that's my nighttime. I'm off the clock. I'm not available now. Or that's my weekend. Weekends are for resting and fun. I'll reach back out on Monday. I do that. I don't, you know, I'm not available to anyone that needs me. I have a thousand different careers. I'm not at all times on call or available, even to family members. All my friends know that you can't reach me after a certain time during the week because that's my time. I've been with people all day long doing therapy and lecturing and doing media and nighttime is my time, right? And they know that there's a certain time where I'm no longer available or they also know that I'm in a relationship that's long distance in a different time zone. And they know that after a certain time, I'm playing relationship time and my, my, my partner means more, you know? So we have to practice these in different ways because a lot of people feeling burnout or exhausted or resentful or frustrated, that's signs that you haven't set boundaries and you need to. We'll keep talking about it. All right, stick around. You're listening to Love Line with Dr. Chris on the new channel QN Odyssey. All right, we're back and uh, gonna be doing some DMs in a little bit, but quickly wanted to just... Yikes, do a little bit of a relationship check-in. Uh, this is born out of some things that have been coming in my office all week, and I wanted to just kind of uh, help y'all problem solve and do a little preventive preventive thinking so as to not land in some difficult spots. So UCLA, man, they did a research project, and they observed 30, 30 couples, right? And uh, these couples all had children, and they wanted to understand daily challenges. Look at what came out of the research that was very profound for them, excuse me. Uh, five points that I want to just run through quick. So they spent less than 10% of their time at home with each other without their children around. So 90% of their time was not alone with each other at all. Less than 10% of their time was with each other alone, couples time. Also, uh, of these 30 couples, they were career focused. Uh, At least one of the partners worked long hours and at least one of them had a double burden of work when they got home where they had to work and then they also had to deal with childcare. 
also what came out of this was uh, that children and household needs were prioritized over the needs of themselves or their spouse, right? Uh, that they became more like roommates, drifting apart emotionally and physically. And most importantly, that they missed many valuable opportunities to connect emotionally on a daily basis. So less than 10% of their time in a week was spent alone, uh, had the double burden, one of them at least, after working all day, had to come home and do childcare. Again, household needs and children came before them in the relationship, felt like roommates and missed opportunities to connect. And then wonder why people are burnt out, tired, and also feel like they don't have a true partner or romantic relationship. Well, because you're not supposed to. We, we can't feel close to those that aren't close. We can't feel like something's a priority when it's not. And we have to find a way to make our relationships a priority. We have to. And I tell a lot of couples that you can't maintain the style or the structure of your current life and also feel important or make your partner feel important. We have to put relationships at the top of our pile. So what do we do to do that? Well, look, even when you're not together, you can still be finding ways to stay close and connected. Thank God for technology. We talk about that all the time. Stay close, stay connected. 100%. Also, you got to build in time. I am a fan of ongoing permanent date nights where there's at least two hours a week that the couple is alone, just the two of them. Even if they don't have the ability to get childcare, they at least, maybe the children are playing on the floor and the two of them are sitting on the couch face-to-face having couple time or at the dinner table while the kids are in another room. You carve it out, you build it in. But again, that which is not a priority won't ever feel like it, right? So you have to build in that time. Maybe you need to do less, less hobbies. Maybe you need to come home from work early. Like I say all the time, take the weekend off from work. Take your evenings off. Turn the phone off. Be unavailable after you get home from the office. But we have to prioritize, right? Try to get the children to go and be taken care of by someone if you can. But we have to build in that time. Maybe the children need to have a reduced schedule so as to give you more downtime. But this disconnection, we can't, we can't expect the relationships to feel close without that. You build in rituals, you know, eating together every night no matter what's going on, or at least saying hello and goodbye when you enter exit, building in time, right? Maybe cooking dinner together, letting some of the housework go, right? Putting the kids to bed early and then carving out that time every night as just the two of you. We're leaving our phones and our computers out of the room or putting them somewhere else, right? Like that's very valuable and important. So we talk about structure. We talk about prioritizing. Look at when you do connect. Are there buffers or things that get in the way? When you are connecting, are you only then talking about work of the kids, thereby bringing you right back to that even though you're not physically in it, right? Going to bed together, waking up together. Maybe you go to bed together. And like I said, you put the kids to bed or you make nighttime, no technology, it's just us before bed. Or you wake up together and you wake up 30 minutes early, maybe only 15 minutes early. But you get up together, sit down at the table, make coffee, share coffee. Maybe you wake up early and you cuddle, right? Tell each other something about your day. When you then come back, you check in about that thing. You track it, right? So again, we have morning rituals, we can have nighttime rituals. I think sometimes people forget about those bookended times. Or like I said, always have dinner together, making our partner mean more than checking our phone or scrolling on social media, because as we talk about all the time, you need eye contact and shared experience, right? Wanna build all these things and taking vacations when you can, right? Checking in throughout the day while at work can be really meaningful when you're not able to get home. Maybe on your lunch break, FaceTiming your partner, taking 
you know, scheduled lunch breaks at the same time in your respective, you know, jobs or offices. There's so many different ways. Again, I'm so thankful for technology, but we can't make, we can't expect our relationship or partner to feel important when they're not. It's kind of the final landing point on that. So we'll keep talking about it. That's why I'm always circling back to these different relational pieces. Coming up next though, we're gonna be doing some DMs. So if you got a DM for us, drop it in our Loveline IG page in the DMs. And uh, if you wanna check out past episodes of Loveline, you can do so by going to wearechannelq.com. Scroll on down, look for my face, click on it. There they all are. And uh, coming up next, we're gonna talk about, after the DMs, after that, we'll be talking about how to heal some body and sex shame by using our bodies and sex. Isn't it magical how that happens? That which is the injury can also be part of the healing. I think that's how homeopathy works. So uh, stick around, we'll be doing that. You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and Odyssey. All right, y'all, we're back. Now it's time to slide into those DMs. Sliding into the DMs. This one says, hey, Dr. Chris, my name is Whitney and my younger brother has had an anxiety disorder my whole life. He had to be homeschooled while I went to school. My whole life, my mom has waited hand and foot on my brother. And now that we're older, I'm starting to resent both of them. He's 28, still lives at home, and has anger towards my mom. We barely speak. My mom tells me that she can't go to sleep at night in fear of him hurting himself. She's pushing 70 and this is killing her. She won't come visit me anymore because she's afraid he'll hurt himself while she's gone. He's in therapy, taking medication, but it doesn't really seem to help. I don't want to resent them, but I feel like I don't have a brother or a mom anymore. Am I being selfish? Partly, yeah, you are. Because if your brother truly has an anxiety disorder, well, that's what that is, right? We can't get mad at people for having mental disorders, mental health issues, or mental struggles. That's misplaced. I appreciate that you're angry that the fantasy you had of the family you might have hasn't become reality, right? We often mourn the loss of what we might have when a partner gets injured or he becomes single. I mean, your your brother's not at fault. So what do you what is what is it you're resentful at? You're resentful at your brother being born the way he is and having the struggles he has and your mom trying to be a good parent and helping him because without her, he would be, I don't know. I don't know where he'd be. Um, so I think you need a little more compassion. I don't know. I don't know who you're mad at or why. What would you want them to do differently? You said yourself, your brother has a mental health issue. Your brother's in therapy and taking medication. He can be expected to do no more, no better than that. You need some compassion. I appreciate it's been hard for you. I don't understand where your resentment is. Your brother still seems like he can get on the phone and have a relationship with you. You can go visit your mom, right? Uh, I'm reading this to make sure I'm not missing anything. I, yeah, I'm at a loss as to why you're resenting them because all the attention's not on you. Well, it's appropriate to say to your mom, hey mom, sometimes it really makes me feel not important when we continue, continually always center my brother. So can we on this phone call just kind of check in on what's going on in our lives? Um, you can go visit her and, and talk about that. But I get why she won't visit you, but go visit her. Like, look, this is life. This is just how it is. God forbid you got injured or became disabled or harmed and you needed someone's full attention. Would you want someone to get resentful at you for something that's outside of your control? I just, I don't know who you're blaming. Your mom is doing her role as a caregiver to look after your brother who has a a clinical anxiety disorder. Are you mad at the world? Like you need therapy is what I really think it is. They're living their lives doing the best they can 
parents are kept up at night worried about their children when they're still dealing with an addiction, in an abusive marriage, having mental health issues. What would you rather her do? Cut him out and ignore him and kick him out and have him on the streets? What do you want to do? Scream in his face and tell him to do better? He's in therapy and taking medication. That's, I'm sorry you didn't have the childhood you see on television. That happens all the time. I'm sorry for people that are gay and raised in homophobic culture and had their parents kick them out. I'm, I'm scared. I'm sad for people that are trans and we don't live in a world that actually gives them the health care and public health that they need. Like, but what we do is we work on changing what we can and making the best of what we have. But I just don't understand what the anger and resentment's at. It might be at the situation. Great. But don't take it out on them. They're doing the best they can. And you're choosing to isolate. You can go visit your mom, you can go visit your brother, but you're right, she's not willing to leave him alone, and I support that. Maybe he isn't healthy enough to be left on his own. You have to grow up a little bit, 100%, and so use this as an experience to grow up. No one's done anything bad, no one's done anything wrong. You're setting this up very, very, very aggressively, right? And at, at best, share with your mom your thoughts that you need a little more care and attention. I'm sure she'll give it to you. But you're right. You have a brother who might get more of the attention. And that's just how it is sometimes. Um, all right, y'all. Coming up next, we're going to talk about how to heal sex and body shame. Because again, we can't move through our lives having total self-esteem when there's elements of ourselves, core elements of ourselves, like our body, our sexuality, that uh, we are feeling feeling shamed and stigmatized around. All right, you're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and Odyssey. All right, we're back and we're talking about ways to heal sex and body shame, aka ways to use sex to heal body shame. Look, we all live in a culture where there are certain standards that we feel like we have to live up to that are rooted in height, rooted in weight, rooted in body shape and size, rooted in gender presentation, um, age, looking younger, looking older. It's, it's wild that any of us are able to move through the world feeling confident about who we are because we're up against so many forces that just aren't honest and aren't real. And that's why we were talking uh, earlier in the week on an earlier show about the Khloe Kardashian controversy of her posting a picture unedited and talking about how difficult it is to live in a world and wanting, you know, the whole conundrum. And, and we're looking at the fact that like, wow, we really need to be dismantling and weakening that system, not perpetuating it and strengthening it by posting only Photoshopped photos and best angles and et cetera, et cetera. And talking about weight loss and before and after, let's just get back to, it doesn't matter. We're not assessing our worth based on beauty or fulfilling uh, requirements. And that's how we start to heal that damage. We can't heal damage that's caused by a system that we're still part of and trapped within. And so that's why we talk about unfollowing things, telling people we're not gonna have conversations anymore about weight loss and weight gain and all that. We're backing away from that, right? Um, so listen, sex, sex is, so as a sex therapist, right, at times, uh, it's about using, finding ways to help utilize sex as a way to help heal, right? And sex is one of the most powerful ways that we can heal sex phobia, but also shame about our bodies <clears throat> because it's the most powerful time that our bodies are actually engaged and in play and having the presence of someone else is what often brings up really palpably to the surface all of our social shame and stigma, right? And so it's about that transformative work. Um, we have to heal from the way we've been socialized and continue to be, but we have to be a part of that change. We, we can't just play victim, right? We have to look at the systems. Again, we are strengthening and participating in and keeping ourselves trapped in. But sex is a great way to mature and grow. It's all in there. Our body stuff, our general steam, 
boundaries, communication skills, traumas, it's all in there. Our self-esteem is so deeply tied to our body and sexual esteem. We can't move through the world thinking we're gonna feel our best and fully inhabit full self-worth and self-esteem if our body and sexual esteem aren't at their most robust. Um, it all ties together and feeds into it. So if we don't feel great about our sexuality, whatever that means, or our bodies, whatever that means, that will impact our general ability to move through the world feeling of worth and value, whether it's at work or at home or socially, truly. And it's in those spaces that it'll get brought up. And so we have to really work on that, right? So first off, some of the work is about realizing what are my boundaries and what are my boundaries that are defined by anxiety, right? Because we usually only go as far as our anxiety will allow us. And once we're stepping into something involving our bodies or sexuality or a relationship and our anxiety steps steps in, it can be an indicator that a boundary needs to be set and that could be a good thing or it could just show us that those are our limits that aren't coming from our best, right? And that that's where we need to push through and push into, right? Cuz Better sex, better sense of our body requires stepping beyond and overcoming all of that, right? Because our, our anxiety is often rooted in, right, limits. Limits of our accumulated body shame. Limits that have been imposed by our inability to tolerate a lot of closeness, right? And we have to see sex for ourselves and for the other as a request to build deeper intimacy with ourselves and our other as a way to be truly present. But if we're only having sex and showing up, to the limits of our anxiety, we never grow or expand or overcome. We stay stuck in. Because those limits are imposed by cultural and social traumas, right? And we heal them by pushing beyond, thinking it doesn't matter my age, it doesn't matter um, my body shape or size. Those are co culturally imposed limits and I'm no longer gonna hide or lean out as a result of being forced to step into those by having sex with a partner, right? That's that big moment when we are radically present and we're transformed. Also, the work of using our bodies and sexuality to heal the trauma that's been imposed on our bodies and sexuality culturally and personally, it's also about acknowledging what are the parts of our bodies that we are always trying to hide or avoid having touched or be seen within affection, sensuality, and eroticism, right? And we all do that, and it's very gendered as well. Someone will think, well, as a man, I can only have certain parts of my body engaged. As a woman, I should only ask or have certain parts of my body engaged. As someone who's trans or non-binary, I think I can only have certain parts of my body touched or engaged. Let's not bring sexual orientation into it. There's a lot of homophobia in it as well. As a hetero person, I'm afraid to allow certain parts of my body to be, be seen or touched. None of that's honest. None of that's sexual health. That's quite the opposite. That's social trauma that you're letting play out in your sex life and your relationship right? Because our whole body has the capacity to drive pleasure. And in an ideal world where we've worked through all this, we can let our whole body be seen and utilized and engaged because all of it has the capacity to drive pleasure. But we have to push out of the confines that we've normalized and allowed culture to put upon us. And that's, again, an example of how sex is such a radically healing experience if we see it as such. So it's about breaking out of those patterns and those habits so we can have those transformative experiences. And that's the work. We can always be doing that work even on ourselves with ourselves. So we're gonna take a little break and when we come back, we're gonna keep talking about how to use sex and our bodies to heal the trauma that culture and the world and ourselves have put on our sex and our bodies that really limit us to be present to ourselves and others in the world. So stick around, we're gonna get back to that. You're listening to Love Line with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and Odyssey. All right, we're back and we're talking about using our bodies and our sexuality to heal the trauma that have been implanted in our bodies and our sexuality, which is 
culturally created, culturally bound, right? And that's why I love relationships. They're a powerful way to heal all these things because these are all done within social, right? And relationally and socially created wounds are healed relationally and socially, right? It's work we can do on ourselves, but at some point you have to step into that relational space to really overcome and to heal. So we're talking about the fact that based on our sexual orientation or our gender, we really shame or avoid receiving pleasure uh, around certain parts of our body. And our whole body has the capacity to drive pleasure if we can work through all of that, right? And there's certain parts of us that we won't allow to be seen or touched. And so it's about asking yourself, why? What parts of my body have I avoided? And what would it mean? And how healing and transformative could it be if I allow that to start to be touched or centered or seen, right? That's where the healing happens. Anything we hide and lean out with or from or because of, that's shame-based, right? Modesty is shame. Hiding something, a part of us, is shame. Avoiding a part of our body being seen or touched is shame. The way we work through shame is exposure within safe scenarios and relationships where we're in control and where we're empowered and where we start to allow pleasure to be associated with that part of us that we used to only feel bad about, right? But again, it's always about having the right mindset and also doing this with the right partner. But I don't want people having sex with partners that aren't safe anyway. Um, also getting away from the obsession with our genitals and penetration as being the goal of sex or real sex or full sex or complete sex, because not only is that not true, but that's not always possible for everyone. Our erections will fail us. That is a healthy part of erections. They come and they go. And as we age less available to us, same thing with penetration, being penetrated might have some reduction in pleasure because of the change in our muscle tone and our change in our ability to lubricate, right? Um, just disability, other factors, medications, all this will change our ability to participate in this one fantasy we have of how it should go. There's so many diverse ways to use our bodies and to get pleasure. And sometimes the hottest, best sex doesn't involve genital use or does not involve penetration. We talk all the time about how not everyone is into penetrative sex. We have the word side. Not everyone's a top, not everyone's a bottom. Some people are sides, they don't like penetrative sex. And that's for straight and gay couples. It's bigger than that, right? It's about connecting to pleasure or the other person or yourself. And none of that mandates that penetration or genitals have to be utilized, right? Sex has no goal other than fun and pleasure or connection or whatever you put upon it, but it shouldn't be obsessed with what it looks like. That's stepping out of pleasure then. What are we doing then? Who, who are we trying to appease at that point if we're focused on what it's supposed to look like, right? So don't focus on performance because that's usually what people enter on. Did it work right? Did it go right? How did the other person think? It's like, no, that, that is not about fun, joy, and pleasure. And that's what sex should be rooted in. So it should always be, how does it feel? How did it feel? How does it feel? And that's our guiding, our guiding perspective. That's our mantra, right? We're going after the feel. Um, and also based on, again, every force I've talked about, there's so many forces that really remove us from the authenticity of who we are sexually and really move us away from being able to just receive pleasure. And we talked about gender and sexual orientation. And there's also slut shaming and people being afraid of being kink shamed or called a sex addict, all these different things. And they keep us trapped and trapped in these mundane processes where we don't ever challenge ourselves. And so sex is always step one is blah, blah, blah. Then I know we're going to go to step two, which is blah, blah, blah. And then step three is going to show up. And then step four is penetration, orgasm, and then we're done. How boring does that sound? And so we want to move away from falling into those habits and patterns. It should always start differently. It should always end differently. Sometimes it's one thing only. Maybe it's just starts oral and remains oral, right? Maybe it's about one partner only this time. 
it can it should always ebb and flow because sex requires newness and novelty and just these small tweaks of when and where and what we do is powerful changing up the order starting with what you end with right so many different ways again to be present in our body and with the other person and focus on pleasure it's very circular but i i, I work with clients and i'll track i'll say how does sex usually get initiated and i'll write it down and then what happens and then weeks later i'll ask again and it's the same one two three four five steps that's how we get to boring sex and that's us anxiously keeping ourselves safe from stepping into truth or exploration and yet that is what healthy hot fun sex really requires right moving away from shaming ourselves because the hottest best sex is always going to be about authenticity who am i really in this moment because that'll change partner by partner your sexuality might change you know what you're interested in based on who the person you're with it should always change if you're always doing the same thing and going after the same thing there's a lack of honesty in that because there is something co-created you're with a different body this time or it's a different version of you this week because you have more confidence less confidence or whatever it is there should be a shift in an evolution that's more truth right but you know having sex that's rooted in authenticity is going to have to mean challenging uh, gendered expectations and norms. It doesn't matter what your gender is. That shouldn't speak to what you do or don't do. That's not honest then. That's anxiety about gender roles. Step outside of that because your gender doesn't promise or dictate any part of your sexuality at all. You should never know what someone's gonna be into based on looking at their gender presentation because then that's not honest. They're just falling into line with conformity. And sexual authenticity suffocates within those boundaries and limits because you're not being honest or real. You're just trying to do what you think you need to do to feel okay or to be desired. We're stepping outside of that, right? And then we look at class and race and ability or disability, and that impacts and further oppresses what's possible sexually and maybe our opportunities for exploration, right? It's wild when you think about all the things that we're up against that sex ever even happens, right? We're in so much. Um, think of a man that's masculine or someone who's masculine defined. They're allowed to be passive, but a lot of those people think that they have to always be assertive or initiate sex, but instead, maybe they're receptive. So maybe as a cis, hetero, butch man, you're actually a bottom and you're passive with your female partners. That's your sexual authenticity. Be honest, be who you are. Find someone who can manage that, who can tolerate that, because that means they have to step outside of their gender training as well. But it's about wanting honesty and truth. So you should value when a partner's trying to go on that journey, right? Uh, we gotta take a little break and when we come back, we're gonna kinda close out our talk on authentic sexuality and really working through all the trauma and stigma and expectations that socially the world has placed on both our bodies and our sexuality. And it's part of really working on mental health. So stick around, we'll be back talking about that. Listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and on Odyssey. Okay, we're back and we're talking about working on our mental health and more importantly, working on our sexual and body esteem. And again, just a reminder that working on your mental health or being mentally healthy means having sexual esteem, body esteem, in addition to self-esteem. It's not just self-esteem. How do you feel as a person in the world? It's also how do you feel about and in your body? How do you feel about and in sex and sexuality and arousal? All of that is part of it. So it turns out just being more honest and getting outside of gender roles, which is how you know you're being honest, where it doesn't matter if you're a man or you're hetero or what you are, you're you're really going after what feels good and what and who you are sexually. And you're 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 only having sex, hopefully with partners that don't shame you or stigmatize you, saying, Well, men don't do that or straight men don't do that, or that's not very gay of you. It's like, 
well, we're not trying to be a man. We're not trying to be straight. We're not trying to be gay. We're just trying to be our authentic selves. These labels are starting points. They're not even honest because there's no such thing as a straight man. Each straight man is different from the one before and after. They all have very different pieces tied to their sexuality. It's not just we all like the opposite gender, high five, we're the same. No, what they like to do with the opposite gender is varied and different. What parts of themselves they like to utilize or have touched is varied and different. So better sex, healthy sex is about authenticity. You know, again, utilizing our entire bodies, challenging why I limit myself, what do I allow and what I don't allow and why. And how can I push outside of that? Is it because I'm not with safe, mature partners that can handle that, that aren't expecting me to operate a certain way? Or is it myself? Because it's beautiful moments in my office when I'm working with people that are like, I'm gonna start asking for this. I'm gonna start saying no to that. I'm gonna start demanding this. And they have voice and they have choice. And they really honestly step into their sexuality and it's beautiful. And they work with their arousal. We get aroused throughout the day. We have the capacity, but we don't need to do anything with it. You know, part of sexual health is learning how to hold that energy and taking it with us to the right time and place. If you're turned on by work or someone you see out on the street or a fantasy, carry it with you. Let it drive you and excite you and bring joy throughout your day and do something with it when you have a safe space or when you get home with your partner, right? Especially that's great for people in monogamous relationships. We got, you know, we're going to be turned on by other things in the world. Take that energy home and use it to have more dynamic sex with your partner, right? And sext and eroticize your partner throughout the day. That's a great way to keep romance and eroticism alive. Leave notes, sext, flirt, talk, touch every single day. This present, prevents relationships from becoming desexualized and really no longer having access or comfort or confidence in that arousal, right? It's really hard for some people to go from zero to 60, right? We've been de-eroticized all day or all week or all month, and now I'm somehow supposed to step into my eroticism and your eroticism. It's a very hard place to kind of jump to. And so that's why we're allowed to constantly keep it going. And I tell people every day, do something romantic, do something sexual, right? Um, that's how we feel close. That's a resource that's available to our romantic or sexual partners. Let's, let's make use of that, right? Let's make use of that. That's powerful. What a great bridge. What a great thread to always keep us tethered. And also fantasies. I think fantasies are the most honest part of who we are. Fantasies in the porn we look at, right? Um, that shows us honestly who we, what, who we want. It doesn't necessarily mean that we want to enact that in the real world, right? I'm always trying to remember to add that. What you fantasize about or look at in porn doesn't mean I might or want to go do that in real time. Fantasy and porn is a safe space to do things we, we generally might not at all want to do in the real world. And that's why we access it there. So remember that. And so it's, it's about realizing what parts of these do I want to take into my real life or into my partnered you know, relationship, right? What parts do I want to leave for myself or do I want to leave just accessible only in terms of online use, right? Um, what else? We often forget that sex is a beautiful form of self-care, right? Because we sometimes see sex as just this thing we do with other people for fun or pleasure. But for many, it's meditative. It's self-soothing. It's how we psychologically heal. It's how we do with difficult moods, right? It's a way to improve ourselves. But we often leave that out of the conversation as an accurate, beautiful form of self-care, right? We're afraid to somehow recognize the sexual capacities that we have and how it can heal, right? Um, but also, just finally, uh, be mindful of the porn you look at because it can really over empower something and just be very thoughtful about the access you might have to that with a partner in the real world. Because, you know, when we're having sex with a partner, we want it to be as arousing as possible. And if the things that we generally keep going back to in our solo sexuality are things that can't involve our partner, it might be hard for our partner to live up to or compete with. 
and so it's about, again, just being more honest in our partnered sexuality, being more honest in our porn use, looking at porn that really makes us feel good and better, not looking at things that make us feel incompetent or not good enough or not desirable. And that's why I talk to clients about looking at body positive porn and feminist porn that is more than just genitals and penetration and has more normal, natural bodies, right? Um, really beautiful stuff. And it can be really healing for our sense of sexuality, but also our sense of feeling our body has worth and value, right? So just be very thoughtful in the way that you talk about it and you approach it. But um, again, we're in safe relationships this year with partners that are worthy of trust and that trust us. And so we can really step into all this work. Uh, but if not, it's not safe. And then you want to look at, do I want to be in a relationship with someone that I can't do all these different kinds of things with, right? It's a severe limit. Um, all right, coming up next, we're going to be sliding into those DMs. If you got a DM for us, drop it in our Loveline IG page in the DMs, of course. And if you want to check out past episodes of Loveline, you can always do so by going to wearechannelq.com. Scroll on down, click on my face. There they all are. You can binge, share, post. Um, yeah, stick around. We'll be back. You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and Odyssey. All right, we're back. And it is time to slide into those DMs. Sliding into the DMs. This one says, Dear Dr. Chris, my girlfriend and I have been together for a little over two years. However, we have no spark anymore. Bum, bum, bum. We rarely kiss. Uh-oh. Don't cuddle. Ugh, and don't have sex anymore. Eee! We've had sex one time in the past year. Here we go. She has extreme anxiety, depression, and body issues. And right now, it feels like we're just friends. Even when we try to cuddle, I almost feel like I just want to go away. Do you think this can be fixed? Yes. Uh, she needs therapy and you guys need couples and sex therapy, period, case closed, end of story. Um, there's nothing I can magically tell you to do that helps your partner in the next week get over their extreme anxiety, depression, and body issues. doesn't work that way. You're in a relationship with someone who is uh, victimized by a lot of problematic systems in our culture and has some mental health issues. And this is what that looks like. And when someone has severe depression and body issues, yeah, sexuality is often not something they're on, that's on the table. They have fear of touch. So this is what you need to say to your partner. I love you. It's been two years. I want to be <clears throat> the best support I can be. Um, and I also need to do the work I need to do so that I can feel like I'm in a healthy relationship. So uh, in order for this relationship to continue, um, it's important to me that you get into therapy and we also do some couples or sex therapy. And then I know that we're working on this and it will improve, but I can no longer just stay in it as it is. And if you're not open to therapy, I'll have to accept that. But then I need to exit this relationship, period, case closed, because there's nothing I can tell you really quickly over the radio that resolves all of that. Is it fixable? hundred percent. I work all the time with people that have depression and body issues, but I want to let you know that's not going to be something that's healed completely and goes away. At best, there's improvement. It is very hard for someone to just completely work through all that, especially because we have, you know, a culture that's constantly telling you, you need to lose weight, that you need to buy the new fall look, that you need to use anti-aging products and you're not allowed to age, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You know what I mean? And so this is definitely um, a sex therapy issue for the two of you as a couple. And uh, I would support her in getting into individual therapy. Otherwise, nothing's going to change. There's nothing you can do to help someone through their extreme anxiety, depression, and body issues. Because you're not just trying to support them. You're actually wanting it resolved. The way you support them, though, is by continue, continuing to love them. The way you support them is by finding ways to express intimacy and closeness that don't involve touching, cuddling, or kissing. But I appreciate that you missed that. Maybe you want to ask right now for an open relationship. 
right? Maybe your partner's also asexual. I don't know. But with the depression, body issues, and anxiety, that has to get resolved first. And this is the partner you're with. And showing commitment is about sticking through people's issues and struggles. I don't know how it was at the beginning because I have to imagine the depression and body issues were there two years ago as well. Maybe they weren't. I don't know. I don't know if you lovingly thought this will improve. It's just for right now. It'll get better. I don't know. But nonetheless, here's where you are two years in. And so... Um, you're not setting an ultimatum. I don't speak in those terms. That's 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 about like rules and being a bully. You set boundaries. I can't be in a relationship. I can't be in a monogamous relationship where sex and romance and intimacy don't exist. I love you and I care for you in the best way. Like I said, you, this is you speaking. The best way I can be a good partner is to support you in getting into therapy to resolve these issues that I watch you struggle with all the time. Look, when we get into a relationship, we're, we're with a person and we are taking on whatever it is that, that goes on in their life life or whatever it is we help co-create um, by being in their life, right? And so <clears throat> mental health issues emerge. Mental health issues sometimes always exist, right? But we can't just cut and run when it gets difficult or else you'll always be cutting and running because in every relationship, someone loses a job. In every relationship, financial issues emerge. In every relationship, mental health issues emerge. Or maybe you've always been there and finally get to a point where you can't take it anymore. In a relationship, we have troublesome family members. This is what it's like. And we show care and commitment by sticking around through the difficult times. And so, yeah, therapy. But if no therapy, this just rolls on into you DMing me in two years saying, it's been four years now and I'm in this relationship, blah, blah. I would also say, talk to your partner about what maybe they are comfortable doing. You know, like, is there any forms of intimacy you are comfortable doing? And if we do it differently or in a certain way, you know, but um, I send you uh, a lot of empathy because it's not easy. All right, y'all, that is our show. Coming up tomorrow, we're going to be talking about consent and asking people out. It's an important one. How do you ask out your crush? And then we'll be talking about male insecurities. As always, y'all, thanks for hanging out. Enjoy the rest of your night.